want you to open your Bibles with me. Go to the book of Matthew chapter 2 for just a few moments. I'm going to preach a message that God has laid upon my heart. And I pray that he makes it as real to you as he has to me. All you need is a word from the Lord. A word from God changes everything. And you can come in one way and leave totally changed. Whole new perspective. And I'm praying that kind of transformation takes place at every one of our campuses. God is going to speak, so let him do it. In Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Her children are gone, and she's weeping. This is an amazing text in Matthew, the second chapter, because everything preceding and following immediately, it's, it's almost like it's inserted in the middle of a story it has nothing to do with. Matthew 2 is the story of the birth of Christ. And yet, right in the middle of it, all this joy, all these angels, all these appearing of messengers from heaven, proclaiming and singing on the hills of Bethlehem, a Savior is born. Right in the middle of that, it, it, it seems like that this text is out of place. It's not a new utterance, this Rachel weeping. It's not a new utterance. It's one that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Let me tell you the story behind it. Three times this is mentioned in the scripture. And, and, and I'm going to walk you through something. You'll understand where I'm going. But this is a message to families today. The story begins in Genesis 35, and there's a woman by the name of Rachel. She is married to Jacob. You remember the story. Her younger sister was given by the father to Jacob, and he married her, and now he's married Rachel, and Rachel was barren. She could not have children, and she was so grieved that she prayed an unbelievable prayer, desperate prayer, and she said, God, give me children let me have children or let me die. I am so desperate for children, I'd rather die if you're not going to give them to me. And God heard her cry and God gave her a miraculous child of promise. A child with enormous potential that would ultimately save the whole world during the worst famine this planet has ever seen. By the way, this is historical facts too. That there was a man that, or a boy, a child that was born that would become a great man. His name was Joseph. That was the first birth. 
And then some years later, as Joseph grew up to be a toddler, she gets pregnant again, and she is in the ninth month of pregnancy, and her husband, Jacob, decides to go to Bethlehem. And they're on the road to Bethlehem, and along the journey, something tragic happens. She begins to go into labor on the road, riding a donkey, headed to Bethlehem. Five miles north of Jerusalem is a little town called Ramah. And there, under a tree, she begins to have this child. Her sister is the midwife. She does everything she can for her, but something tragically goes wrong in the birthing. And the second child, Benjamin, is born, and he's healthy. He would become the lineage of the kings of Israel, would come from the tribe of Benjamin. So these two children are incredibly full of potential. And something was wrong. And while she's holding one baby in her hands that is newborn and her little toddler, Joseph, is standing there and her husband, Jacob, she realizes I'm dying. And she begins to weep. She says, I will not see my children anymore. She's weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. And as she dies, brokenhearted, her husband and her sister and those little children are there and they have to pry her fingers off of her lifeless body. And little Joseph is taken away. And there the Bible said that Jacob buried her under a tree at Ramah. To this day in Israel, when you go to Israel, it is a holy landmark, Ramah, Rachel's tomb. It is a very prophetic place and very, very, very important to the Jewish people to this day. It was a place that represented when a mother was separated from her children. There was weeping, there was crying, the whole family was broken and divided. Death had come and separated and little children had went one direction and the mother has gone another direction and the whole family is grieving, it's division, it's separation, it's brokenness, it's brokenhearted. They're on the dusty road to Bethlehem. Nobody ever expected this family to be in this place at this time. And right there in that spot, birth and death intersected. The place where she was buried was called Ramah. Now I want you to fast forward to the year 586 B.C. And there, Nebuchadnezzar, many years later, after Rachel has been buried in that very spot and she wept for her children and heaven heard her cry. Now you move and Nebuchadnezzar invades Israel from Babylon. He comes and he invades with his massive army and he decimates the nation and he destroys the city of Jerusalem and he kills many, but he had a secret service. This is all in the Bible in 2 Kings 24. And he said, I want you to get 10,000 young people as my prisoners to take back to Babylon Babylon 
to build my kingdom. I want the most talented. I want the most gifted young people, the children, the teenagers, the youth, the young young people, those who are most physically fit, those who are wisest, those who are strongest, those who are full of potential, those who are gifted, those who obviously have something very, very brilliant about them, maybe in arts, maybe in music, maybe in some area uh, uh, that they can, I, I don't want their talents left here in the kingdom of God. Nebuchadnezzar had this spirit. I'm going to enslave them. I'm going to put chains on them. And he says this, I want 10,000 of them. Go get the children. Go get the young people. Go get the grandchildren of all these godly people in Jerusalem and chain them up. He said, I want you to go to Ramah and have a holding pen, much like the concentration camps during the Holocaust. You've got a holding pen where you hold them until we do whatever we want to do with them. Now I want you to see in the very place, and and this now is where Jeremiah 31 kicks in. Jeremiah 31 is the second utterance of the same verse that we've been focusing on. And so I want you to see the picture. I want you to get in your mind the picture. I'm just going to tell it like I want to share it today, but I could see it as... As now the city is in shambles and the homes have been destroyed. Many have been murdered, killed, looted, everything you can imagine. But there are still some people who are very poor, the scripture said, and destitute. They go out five miles from the city and the rubble. And there behind the barbed wire fence, they see their children Their sons, their daughters, that daughter that could sing so well, that son that was so brilliant, that other child that was so gifted, 10,000 of them being chained. If they resisted, they would be beat like the Nazi soldiers in, in, in World War II. Cruel, vicious. You know some of them resisted and they were beaten, chained, He gathered them, 10,000, outside at a place called Ramah. And here's the parents realizing they're leaving. They're taking them captive back to Babylon, and we can't go. My children, I could, can you hear a mother as she's weeping for her baby and the baby and the son or the child? Some of them were toddlers, some of them were teenagers, some of them were in their 20s or 30s, and they're weeping. They realize, I'll never see my mother, my father again. This is a day that changes our family forever. Division, separation, chains, bondage, being taken into Babylon, and suddenly. The Bible said in Jeremiah 31, something happens. Right in the middle of that, in Jeremiah 31 and 15, a voice was heard in Ramah. It's lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. What he's saying is it's like the ghost of Rachel came back up 
hundreds of years later in the very spot where her children were ripped from her, pried from her fingers. And she wept as she realized I'm dying and my children, all my hopes and dreams, I'll never see them accomplished. Now, up from the crypt, up from the sepulchre of, of that tomb, her voice above the the, 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 the chains rattling above the weeping and crying of parents as the, as the group begins to move, going in the direction of Babylon, slaves now to an evil, evil master in Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar. Above that comes this shrill, this, this eerie voice of weeping, Rachel weeping like a ghost, weeping in that very spot that 10,000 children that were raised in the temple, that were taught the word of God, had the entire Old Testament memorized, meaning the, the, the first five books of the Bible memorized. This is a normal Jewish, this would be how Jesus would have been raised. They, they, they knew now they're slaves, 10,000 of them been targeted by Nebuchadnezzar and his secret service saying their talents will not remain in the kingdom. They're gonna build Babylon, my kingdom. And there's this voice, this eerie, piercing, weeping voice of Rachel is heard weeping for her children, for they are no more. I promise I'm going somewhere, so just stay with me. When I read that, and I, I read that about those 10,000 children, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, that is exactly what Satan is doing in this generation. He is coming after teenagers. He is coming after children. He is coming into families and homes and separating and destroying and binding in chains of addiction, chains of alcoholism, drug addiction, chains of occult, chains of sexual immorality, chains of, of, of so-called freedom that is not freedom at all, and it leads only to a place of torment and brokenness and hopelessness. And he's coming and Rachel, the mothers, are weeping, weeping. Families are weeping and crying. And it's such an amazing thing that it, both of those incidents happen at the same place. And then I want you to see one more. You have to fast forward five centuries from that moment. And one more time, the ghost of Rachel shows up on planet Earth. Her voice is heard weeping, and it's the story of Christmas. It's the story of the birth of Christ, and do you remember what happened in the middle of that? See, it's the same demon that came after the children in Nebuchadnezzar's day. It just possessed a man named Herod. And when the wise men show up, and they say, we follow the star, a king is being born. Then Herod becomes insanely jealous and he puts out a command that all of the children 
male, two years of age and under, he says, kill them all. And you're not going to believe this, but your Bible said that they took all the little children, herded them up, male children, two years of age and under. This insane Herod, history records that he was so insane, so jealous that he murdered his own sons, he murdered his own children, all of his relatives, all of them. He decimated his family, and now that spirit has turned on a whole generation of sons. And they, it's called in Scripture the, the slaughter of the innocents. And guess where this horrible thing is taking place? In a spot five miles north of Jerusalem called Ramah. And as Herod is having the little two-year-old children, male children executed, parents Children, guards taking children from homes. You'd hear it in neighborhoods as they burst through the doors and take the two-year-old and under sons and take them to this holding pen. And parents and mothers weeping for their children for they are no more following their little children. The baby reaching for the pain, the sorrow of separation, of division, of hurt, of, 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 of a family being torn to pieces and seemingly no hope. And they get to this spot called Ramah. And there a slaughter is taking place. And there are the parents again, generations later, weeping for their children. And they can't find comfort. This is horrible. We can't get out of this pain. Her family, we can't get out of this. Oh my God, this can't happen to us, our family. And right in the middle of it, the ghost of Rachel comes up again in the Christmas story. And he says it, quoting the prophet Jeremiah, a voice in Matthew 2 was heard, there it is, in Ramah. Lamentation, weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted. It all happened on the dusty road to Jerusalem, or to the dusty road to Bethlehem. Now I want you to see it. The Bible said Mary and Joseph were warned by God in a dream to get out of there and take their son who had so much potential named Jesus and hide him in Egypt. He's going to Egypt, take him by night. And so they go and they're hiding there. And Matthew Let's us know that Herod is trying to kill the children. And ladies and gentlemen, here's where I'm trying to get to. Satan is attempting to destroy an entire generation of young people in the hour in which we live. If you can't see that, if you can't understand that, if you don't know that he has come through this church and anyone, every church and every home that has endeavored and tried to raise a godly family and his demonic spirits have targeted our children, our children's children, they are under attack like never before and it looks like he's picked up thousands. He's targeted 10 
thousand children. And Rachel has been weeping. And Matthew pins the same words. Children separated, families torn apart, bondage, slavery, sin, addiction, depression, suicide. Those chains are all over this generation. Eating disorders, vaping, smoking their life away, killing themselves, chained up, can't get free, can't get hope, can't get faith. They've lost it all and hell is laughing in the Nebuchadnezzar spirit. Says, I am going to have your children say goodbye. You'll never see them again. And the thing that I want you to understand, I've never heard anybody preach this from Matthew chapter two at Christmas time. Have you? This is a part of the Christmas story. Nobody, it's almost like, what is that doing in there? I, I hear the angels. I see the Virgin Mary. It's a beautiful story. Now the baby's born and oh, here comes the wise man. What a beautiful, can I be honest? I can't relate to the Virgin Mary. The, the part of the story that we can relate to the most, we've missed. We can't relate to Virgin Mary having a baby. I don't care how holy you think you are. You are not that holy, nor is anybody in your crazy family. I can't relate to angels showing up in big choirs on mountaintops singing the hallelujah chorus. I can't relate to, I can't relate to, 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 to Gabriel showing up in, in my house. I can't relate to him. You know what I can relate to more than anything else that we ignore and say, oh, that's just that part. I'm gonna hurry up and read through that and get to the good part of the part of families weeping and being torn to pieces. Marriages being torn to pieces. Families in disarray and rubble and shambles after hell has rode through and taken captive sons and daughters that were raised in church that have enormous potential, calling, called by God to be who they are for the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. And he's kidnapped their talent and he's kidnapped their anointing and he's kidnapped their gifting and he's kidnapped their skills and their amazing abilities and he's taken them away from the church, taken them away from the family, taken them away from godly influences, taking them away and it looks like it's over. But I just want to say, no wonder we skip over that part but that's the one part that everybody can relate to. There's always someone, there's some son who's strung out on drugs and there's a mother weeping. I want my boy back. There's a, there's a, there's, there's a daughter who's shacking up with some guy somewhere, raised in kid pack, raised in this church, and hell says, I've got them. And mama's weeping, and dad's weeping, and parents are broken, and separation has come. There's an older sister or a younger sister or an older brother, and the whole family, they, they don't even, it's so separated, it's so messed up, it looks like there's no hope. But I've come today not to depress you. I've come today to give you a word from the Lord. I've come today 
to tell you the hell secret service that has targeted our children and our children's children need to hear this. We are going to see our families come back to everything they've been raised in. And I want to give you scripture on it. Here's what happens in Jeremiah 31 and verse 16. He says this. See, it starts out with her weeping, but then comes this great prophetic promise in the last few verses of the chapter. Thus says the Lord, refrain your voice from weeping, Rachel, parents, grandparents, and your eyes from tears. Here it is. For your work will be rewarded, says the Lord. You know, that's what the devil whispers to parents and grandparents. It didn't work. All that taking them to church, all that getting them up and getting them ready, all that reading the Bible, all that praying for them before they got out of the car, all that laying on the hands, it didn't work. All that 21 days of fasting, it didn't work. It didn't work. Look at there. There they go. There they go. Hear the chains jingling? Look at there. Look at there. They, I got them. Drugs have got them. I got them. I got this in them. I got that. They're getting in that. They're getting around that crowd. They're doing this. They're doing that. I don't care what you think you've got. My Bible said... I don't care if you believe this or not because this is what it's going to take to see miracles in your family. He said, our work shall be rewarded, says the Lord. Raise them up in the way they should go. They may go through hell. They may go through some crazy things, but when they are old, time's going to catch up with them. Grace is going to catch up with them. The goodness of God is going to catch up with them, and they're going to hit that pig pen, and they're going to turn around, and they're going to come to themselves, and they're going to say, I'm headed home. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. Everybody shout it. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. You got a kid in depression? Say it. They shall. You got a kid in some kind of addiction? Say it. They shall come back from the land of the enemy. Now that's what I believe. And watch this. Next verse. There is hope. All you who've been separated, all you who are going through hell in your family, all you who have an empty seat at the table, all of you who've been weeping and crying, there is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. I cannot stand your pitiful little golf clap. I'm not playing golf. I'm up here and I'm preaching the promise of God to your family and you better get a hold of it because psychology can't fix it. Doctors can't fix it. Counselors can't fix it. This is a job for Jesus. And when Jesus comes, the tempter's power is broken. Now shout if you believe it. They're coming back. I don't know how long, I don't know what they're going to look like, but they're coming back. I'm an atheist now. I'm trying Eastern religion now. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're coming back. There's too much blood on you. There's too much anointing on you. There's too much purpose and calling on you. 
He didn't say the weapon wouldn't be formed. He said it would not be fulfilled. He said no weapon formed would prosper. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. So I'm just here today to deliver the word of the Lord. That I don't care what. And I, I want to say to all of the young people, y'all can sit down. Y'all trying to hurry me up. All you young people listening to me right now, you in the eyes of Satan are not like your friends who don't have a home that they were raised in to fear and honor God. That's your problem. God is not going to treat you like he treats other children that were not fortunate enough to be raised in that crazy home where your mama and daddy actually had standards for you because they believe in your potential. And thus says the Lord, there is a Nebuchadnezzar spirit that is targeting the youth of the church and he wants to take 10,000 of them into dark, dark places. But today we stand on the promise of God and we declare they shall come home from the land of the enemy. I don't need everybody, but if I could get 100 dads and 100 moms Moms who've been weeping, moms who've been tossing, grandmas who's been pleading and crying and fasting and praying. Now you wanted a word, you got a word. We're going to make hell pay. The devil's going to regret ever messing with any of our children. The devil's going to regret ever messing with any, touching any of our daughters. We're going to make hell pay. I close with this, but last night I was just reading through some notes. I like to do that and just, I don't know, it's just, it just how I get where I need to go. And I'll spend hours doing that, just reading through things. And I had written on an old, old, old outline, true conversion, the words true conversion. And I had written up under it, handwritten, I had written up under it, everybody who comes to the altar and prays, Jesus, forgive me, does not get saved. Not everybody, people say, I've been converted, but they've not had a true conversion. And let me tell you what I mean. And I had a reference to the book of Acts, and when Saul of Tarsus, who would become the great apostle Paul, was writing and killing Christians and God, Jesus appeared to him in his resurrected body and knocked him off his high horse. You remember that story? He had a sunstroke, saw a bright light, not a S-U-N stroke, an S-O-N, the son of God, and, and, and it knocked him off the horse and he's grappling around like a blind man, groping. And all of the sudden, the first thing that came out of his mouth, and this is how you know if you've had a true conversion. 
was what would you have me to do? You want me to change jobs? You don't like the job? You want me to get rid of these friends? What would, if you've not encountered Jesus, if you came down and you just left just like you came and you didn't ask that question, what do you want me to do? You are not saved. If something in you said, I'll give it all up, what do you want me to let go of? What, what, what? I'll trade the whole world. What would you have me do? I'll change my career. I'll change my job. I'll change my friends. I'll change any and everything. I want to know what do. That's how you know you've been converted. This stuff of come down here because I had a hard week and I'm in a lot of trouble and I might have to go to jail and everything. So, Lord, please. That's not true conversion. True conversion says, if I have to go to jail, I'm going to jail with Jesus. If I have to go, whatever I have to go through, I don't even care. I'm not asking you to get rid of that. I'm not asking you to fix this. I'm not asking you to make this right and then I'll get right. No, I'm saying, what would you have me do? And when you meet him like you're supposed to meet him, it's not, it is your natural reaction. And I wonder how many people are sitting in church lost and on their way to hell because they've never, they think I can come in here and name the name of Jesus and go out and sleep with my boyfriend this afternoon or next week and I'm fine. No, you're not. You're going to go to hell. I don't know any other way to say it. If that offends you, then the Bible offends you because when you have a true conversion, it changes your whole life. What would you have me to do? How many of you got saved like that? Was it that real? That there was nothing the Holy Spirit asked you that you weren't ready and willing to give up. If you've not had that encounter, you need to get in the altar. Because this thing is not a game. I'm going to take some people to heaven with me. And brother, let me tell you where the joy is at. When you say, what would you have me to do? Man, that's when you start living. When you get off the fence. When you get one foot out of the world, one foot in the church, and you jump in and you say, give me my cross. I don't care who likes me and who doesn't like me. I will follow Jesus, no turning back. Get up on your feet and shout and praise God if you've had a true conversion. A true conversion. A true conversion. You gave it all up when you got saved. You were willing to get out of the bar. You were willing to get out of the mess. You got out of that bed of adultery. And if you didn't, you've not had a true conversion. What would you, not my will, what would you have me to do? Wow. Thank you, Holy Spirit. See, you can't, come to, you, you can't come to a Holy Ghost church like this and not get your little bell rung. The Holy Ghost is coming to town. I'm telling you, what they were singing, there's revival coming, and it starts with repentance. It starts with people falling on their knees and saying, I am so sorry. Oh, God, my heart grieves because I failed you. Not because I got caught.
How many, uh, how many of you would agree with me that we can reach 10,000 teenagers this summer? Not, I, I need some faith, people. 10,000 this summer. How many of you want to make hell pay for the children that, 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 that Nebuchadnezzar's spirit has taken out? I wonder, I wonder if I could get, I wonder if I could get 500 young people to fill the altar right now. I wonder if I could get some young people who would say, I want to encounter God in such a way that my response is, what do you want me to do? I'll do anything you want me to do. I want every teenager, I want every 20-something, I want every young person who wants more of God to get out of your seat and come forward. Come as quick as you can. God put you on my heart. Come on. You're not alone. We've been weeping over you, but he said, Refrain your eyes from weeping, mama. I want every mother, I want every father to lift your hands. Lift your hands on behalf of your family and begin to cry out to God. Cry out to God. They're coming home from the land of the enemy. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Something breaks when you move toward God on His Word. I want every mom and grandma and dad and grandpa in this room who can relate to this part of the Christmas story more than you can any other part. Separation, pain, hurt, tears, family, brokenness, dysfunction, pain, addiction. Depression, suicide, self-hatred, self-mutilation. I want you to hear the promise and I want to put that last verse up one more time where he said, I'm making you a promise. You have a bright future of hope. See, the enemy wants you to get to the place that you just weep and you just keep weeping and you just keep crying and sorrow takes over your life. But we resist that. He's not given us that spirit of fear and heaviness. It may not change overnight. It may go on for months and months. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm driving a stake in the ground and I'm saying in the name of Jesus, your children shall come back to what they were raised in. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of the pain, the separation, the fussing, the arguing, the hurting, wounding? Aren't you tired of it? Aren't you tired of the drama just all the time? Aren't you ready to say, Lord, what would you have me do? First of all, let me do this, not for any of that, but because I need you. So right where you are, all over this room, all of our campuses, every head bowed, every eye closed. And just the fact that all these young people came down front right here touches my heart. Because I know you're hurting. I know the pain is real. I know 
that you've heard the voice of Satan or his demons whisper to you, just give up. He thinks he's got his chains on you. He thinks he's got you. And you can't change and you can't turn around. But God's goodness is running after you. It's not waiting on you to get back. It's coming where you are to bring you up and to bring you out. You have a good future full of hope. That's what that text said. And it was directed to families and to children and to parents. So everybody who would say, Pastor, I really need a true conversion. I know I'm not right with God. I don't, I just do my thing and I hope that I don't die and go to hell. Well, you don't have to hope and guess. And it's not making you happy, so it's time for a change. Pastor, pray for me. I want a true conversion. I want the Bible born again experience starting right here, right now. I surrender. If that's you, I want you to raise your hands as high as you can get it. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Hands all over this building. Amazing, amazing, amazing. This will work. This will bring you joy if you will surrender all. Here we go. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Wash me, cleanse me, forgive me. What would you have me to do? What do you want me to change? Who do you want me to change? Where do you want me to change? Show me who you want me to be. Because I know from this day forward, I am yours. I belong to you. And I will go where you lead me. In Jesus' name. Chain of depression break. Say it. Chain of depression break. Chain of addiction break. Say it. Chain of addiction break. Chain of fear break. And now just take a moment and raise those saved hands. Hallelujah. You are a new creation. And everybody in this room, let's take just a moment and thank him and praise him. Can we just thank him and praise him? We don't have to sing. Just thank him and praise him. Just thank him and praise him. Miracles are happening. Miracles, miracles, miracles. And whatever he tells you to do, if he says, now get rid of that, get that out of your life, that's not good for you. That's taking you nowhere good. All you're going to do is end up in the, in, the, in the dark place if you go there. So let's get that out. Let's take care of that. His grace is running after you. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching by Jensen Franklin and thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Your prayers and financial support make these programs possible. For more information about this message and other ministry resources, visit us online at jensenfranklin.tv.